part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Romans chapter 13. We're also going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2. For those that are not familiar, you're not not here, uh, maybe you're a guest or maybe you don't come frequently, I do want to let you know that... uh, this morning is going to be a little bit different preaching style than what I normally do. I am an expositor preacher. I, you know, we go to the Word. There's what the Word says. We see how that applies to our lives. This series is a little bit more topical. Even though we have been getting all of our information, we will get all of our direction from the Word because I have nothing of value to say that is not tied to this Word. At the same time, just the nature of this is a little bit different, especially this one because... Uh, Oh my goodness, the series of life lessons that every child needs to know, this third one is teaching them uh, to be obedient and respectful for authority. And yet we live in a day where you're going, (laughs) but what about these people that are not doing respectful things? Is God's word still teaching us to do that? So this morning, I feel like like last week, kind of, you know, walking that tight line as we looked about how to teach our kids to deal with failure. None of us want our kids to fail. At the same time, the reality is not everybody's going to be the fastest, strongest, tallest, smartest. And so we have to deal, how do we deal with that in a gospel-centered, biblical-centered, Christ-centered way? In the same way, when we look in the scripture this morning, you're going to find that God has spoken, and he's really spoken in really black and white terms. You really can't even gray it up, even if you wanted to gray it up. In Romans chapter 13 and 1 Peter chapter 2, when he talks about submit yourselves to every authority that is out there, and you're going, oh my goodness, (laughs) Certainly he didn't know that we'd be living in a day like we're living today. But we're going to get into that in just a little bit. But I want you to know this morning that the word that we see here found in these passages that we'll look like at this morning are, are both timely, because we live in a day when we're wondering, oh, my goodness, are, are we to respect this person? Are we to uh, follow this command that the government would put out or whatever it might be? And, and so we see it being timely for us. But here's the, the stretch that I want you to see. Not only is it timely, and it's really relevant to our lives in this society and what we're facing right now, but folks, it's timeless. We could take this message, I promise you, to any time since God created Adam and Eve, and it would fit. We always think that we're this peculiar people that, okay, yeah, it's never been like this before. And in a way, you're right. The peculiarity of of what we're facing today is, is really different from any time in man. But the substance is still there. The principle is still there. One of the things that I love to do in in counseling is get people away from thinking that, okay, man, we are just the odd people out. I I start off all my family counseling with, okay, guys, here's truth number one. We are all from dysfunctional families. The whole thing is just how dysfunctional are we? Are we Jerry Springer dysfunctional? Are we kind of this dysfunctional? But we're all dysfunctional. Why? Because we're fallen people in a fallen world. And all of us, because of that, because we live in this world and because we were born into sin, we already have this bent toward a lot of these things. Nobody had to teach you selfishness. Nobody had to teach you, you know, kind of a self-centeredness. It comes with the human nature. So with that in mind, we have to know that this truth of God is not only timely, that it really does fit and is appropriate for the day and the age that we live in, but it is timeless. It really is timeless. It could fit into any 
historical time, historical setting. If we took a poll of, um, uh, across America, not just in churches, but if we really looked like even, you know, just every person knocked on doors and asked this question uh, about the greatest need for the next generation, I would imagine, I would imagine that most people, whether they come from a Christ-centered background, kind of a biblical kind of mindset, or whether they just come from, if you want to say, a a non-biblical mindset, that they would probably agree that teaching kids about being respectful to authority would have to be in the top five. Certainly it would make the top ten. In other words, this is a truth that kind of permeates a society, a culture of people, even though it's a biblical one that we'll see today, it, uh, even non-biblical people say, yeah, you know, I think we should respect police officers. I think we should uh, respect school teachers. I think we should respect you know, anybody who's in authority, that there should be a respect there. So what we see, we're going to take very much to see that that has a, a Christ-centered basis, a biblical basis. But I think that even those that would come from a non-spiritual background would say, yeah, man, we need to teach the generations to come this important truth. And so this morning, we, you know, we look at that and a quick testimony of how many of y'all were not just alive in the 60s, but you were coherent in the 60s? <laughs> I, know that's, I know that's a very, that's such a loaded question there. <laughs> there will be a confession time afterwards. You can come right up here and, uh, you know, those sins you've been carrying around for 50 plus years. <laughs> the whole time. That's a great question. <laughs> But, you know, can you imagine if you, you preached this sermon back in, in the 60s? I mean, you would be seeing the same thing. People would be, you know, yeah, this is what this generation needs. Folks, again, it is timely, but it is also timeless. That's God's Word. It's ever-living. It's the beauty of God's Word. That's why God's Word is the only basis for any proclamation that we would ever have here in our church. It's because it's always timely, but it is timeless. Well, I think you got that down, that part of it, but that's an important part of, of this morning. Uh, this morning, I want you to see that God has set up a, a certain sense of order from the very beginning of time. He placed people from the very beginning of time into positions uh, in authority and then under authority. Uh, for example, in Genesis chapter 2, we see that God created Adam. He allows Adam to experience a little bit of life. He goes out there, he sees that the... Certainly the animals are all kind of paired up. They have a partner. And uh, Adam has this question, Where, where's my partner? God puts him to sleep. He takes the rib. He creates woman. And now they have a partner, a helpmate. They have this relationship. God creates the first marriage there. And, and God does something in that. He, in the first two human beings, he says, okay, as, as husband, you're going to be the leader of this home. You're equal partners. The partnership is equal. But, 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 husband, I'm going to put on you the responsibility of leadership. Wife, I'm going to put on you the responsibility of following this leadership. First two human beings. And there's already a position of authority, and there's a position under that authority. Now, again, in this day and time, there could be some people that very much would say, well, you know, Bobby, that just offends me. Women are just as smart, just as capable. The Bible never says that they're not. That is not archaic. They're equal partners. And I promise you, this woman right here is far more intelligent in many, many things than, you know, I'm clueless on. But we go back and we see that the Bible said, okay, here's the position of authority, leadership. As a husband, you lead your family spiritually. You lead it in these different ways, but you lead out. From the very beginning, we see that God is creating authority 
and those that come under authority. We see this continue on. Later, later on, they have children. And uh, in, that, in those children, they place them under the authority of the parents. You know, Adam and Eve said, hey, look, we're really losing control of these two. I think it's going to be very important that we establish that we are the ones that are in control here. No, from the very beginning, God ordains that the parents are the ones in control and that the children are under their authority. We go back uh, a little bit, or we go on a little bit more in Genesis chapter 9, and we actually see right after the, the ark and Noah and the ark, they come off and, and God established government. We see in, in, uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, that he says, okay, from now on, if, if you take a man's life, you kind of come under the governing that they're going to take your life. God is the one that's establishing all this. Noah didn't sit back and say, okay, you know, we kind of have to need a, a court system because there's going to be some bad guys. We have to have a way that we can kind of prosecute them and make sure that they get what's coming to them. Moses, when we see all the wanderings in the desert, we see all that, Moses isn't sitting back going, you know, this is all on my shoulders to kind of come up with a system here to make sure that, uh, you know, people get justice. God is continually establishing all of that. And, and so we see all these different things for two reasons, guys. Why did God establish authority? Why is it a God thing and not a man thing? Two reasons. Number one, to teach us his authority over us. One reason why we have authority, one reason why he said, children, be obedient to your, to, uh, to your parents, one reason why he said, okay, uh, submit yourself to the government and the authorities and the rules of the land is to teach us an authority level here so that in the scene for those that we don't see, a God that we don't see. So he's trying to teach us about authority from what he's established here. But there's a second reason, and that would be the reason of order. Can you imagine if there wasn't authority? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, there's, certainly you've been in a place where there wasn't authority. Certainly you've been in the store before when there was a family there that you said that there's no authority in that household and the kids are just going wild. But can you imagine, can you imagine playing a, a ball game? Guys, I am struggling with this. Uh, is wanting to go all over the place this morning. <laughs> My helpmate is going to help. Hopefully that won't be a distraction for you the rest of the morning, so I apologize for that. Um, can you imagine going to a football game, or you've probably been to a football game, and uh, at first, you know, it gets a little dicey. You know, players, maybe it's a robbery, and they just don't like each other. You know, they come out there, and so this one gets a little bit of a cheap hit, and this one gets a little bit of a cheap hit, and pretty soon, you know, both teams are pretty chippy. And at that point, if the referees don't come in and start taking charge, what happens? Do, do the guys that are out there in the battlefield playing, trying to get the victory, do they say, you know, this is really getting kind of out of hand. I think we should all meet in the middle of the, the field, shake hands, and go about our, our business in peace. No. I guarantee you. They get out there, and if one person kind of gets that chippy, what are you going to do? By nature, what are you going to do by nature, guys? Go one up. It's just the nature of man. And so you have these referees, and they, they start throwing, throwing flags. They start saying, that is illegal. That is against the rules. And it's that referee that brings back 
order, hopefully, to that game. That's why God has established it. Number one, so that we could realize that here we are, these very self-centered people that kind of just want to always do what we want to do, that there is a line of authority. And it, the hierarchy ends with God. He, he's the ultimate authority. But also so that we might have order in our lives. So what did God establish? God established three main areas or institutions, if you want to call them, of authority. Number one, the home. Go back again to Genesis, and he says, okay, uh, you know, husbands and wives, here's kind of the relationship. Uh, parents and children, here's the relationship I have you at. A little bit later on, he will establish government, and he allows people to, he allows kings, he allows people to be in leadership. That doesn't mean that every king has always been a godly king. We see through the Bible that it's not but he establishes government so that there can be rules and people to enforce those rules. And then in the New Testament, especially, we see this establishment of the church. And even within the church, there's a hierarchy. The pastor, the elders, are really kind of over the authority-wise over the church. Now, in, in all of that, that, that's a good time to put in there, this authority that God has put in place is not to rule over in a domineering sense. Guys, just because you're the husband and she's the wife, never will you find, never will you find in the Bible that that's going to be a domineering. In fact, if we go to Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 and we begin to to kind of look into the, the whole thing that Paul's putting out there, some of those most pertinent statements that he makes to husbands and wives... Submit to one another. And he ends with submit unto one another. It's all, it's all about submission. The, the wives and the husbands and the husbands and the wives. He didn't just say, okay, here's the way. Everything flows down this way. He says, man, you're to love your wives, husbands, as Christ loved the church. How did he do that? Well, we just read in Philippians 2, by humility and by submission to the will of God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what this world would look like if we followed God's word and his wisdom in these three areas. I mean, if we really took to heart and said, you know, I want to be passionate, that in my home, I, I want to just follow God's rules, and that your kids came up and said, you know, we just as kids. I know I'm supposed to be going through my terrible twos, threes, and fours right now, but, you know, Mom, Dad, even at two, three, and four, I realize that you are authority, and when you say do this, I, you know, when you say jump, I'm going to say how, you know, how high do you want me to jump? Can you imagine? I see, I see some moms right now just kind of laughing. You know, yeah, yeah, that wouldn't happen even in my fondest dreams. Why? Because we are a people that are fallen. And with that sin comes a very self-centeredness. And we don't like to be under authority. What do we like to be? Authority. We don't want to be under somebody's control. What do we want to be? In control. How many of you that are parents, our grandparents, had you allowed the nature, and again, this isn't picking on kids because we were the same exact way. This is generational. This is timely, but it's also timeless. This has always happened. How many of you had you allowed your children to kind of guide and direct that your children would have been more than willing to take up what you're going to have for supper, what time you're going to get up, you know, what you're going to do with your free time, what you're going to do with your, your uh, money. How many of you have children that would have an idea of a preference in that area? We're, we've all been there. But God set up this authority, 
and all these levels of organization for the purpose of showing us his authority over us and for order. Because our natural instinct, our natural instinct is not one of submission, but it's one of rebellion. Would you agree with that? That that your natural instinct, I'm not saying that, okay, I've prayed through it, I see the Word of God, the Word of God directs me to submit, so I submit. Would you say that your natural being, just your natural mind and and your mindset that you have is one of rebelling against authority? I mean, think of work. Okay, you say, man, man, my boss is the most wonderful guy, the most wonderful gal. And man, you know, they wanted us to come in all weekend and, and work, and we're not supposed to work the weekends. But you know, I just love, I just love, I'm going to submit myself to that authority. Or does it say, hey, tomorrow's Columbus Day. We're working on Columbus Day? I cannot believe that. Hey, Sally has off. Billy has off. Why don't we have off? Isn't that the mindset? We didn't have to work on that. It comes naturally, folks just kind of comes there. And so that's why God has all this. By nature, we lean toward rebellion rather than submission. By nature, we want to have it our own way. By nature, we want to be the rule makers rather than the rule followers. Would, it, would everybody agree with that? That by nature. Okay. Once we get that established, then we begin to see why God has organized this in such a way. And we begin to look throughout the Bible and we begin to see... Old Testament and New Testament. A lot of people say, well, you know, a lot of that Old Testament stuff, I just don't know that it's really relevant to the church age. I promise you, Genesis 1-1 all the way through is relevant to the church age. I promise you guys, okay? But to to make my point, let's just go to the New Testament and see what God has said about these lines of of authority that God has established. First one, Ephesians 6-1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right goes on, amen, (laughs) as her son sits right by her. (laughs) It also, you know, it goes, whenever it usually has that verse, every time it mentions that, and it actually mentions it several times in the Bible, it also talks about long life. And my dad wasn't a very spiritual man, but I promise you, he knew not so much that verse, but he knew that truth, that if I wanted long life, I need to be obedient to my dad. (laughs) Because he was kind of from that whole, that old school, hey, I brought you into the world. I can take you out, you know? The Bible says that. Now, it doesn't say that you can take your child out, okay? <laughs> what it says is you, you want long life, and he wasn't talking about just the number of years. He says you want quality life. You, you want a good family life. Well, well, then realize, children, be obedient to your parents. Honor them. For this is right. This is what God blesses. What about government? Romans 13.1. Paul goes on and he has this uh, pretty long, through the first seven verses there, has a pretty long speaking uh, about how we as Christians, now this, he is writing to Christians, okay? And he's writing to Christians. And so as Christians, we don't get a free pass, don't have to be obedient to the government. That's one kingdom and we live in another kingdom. I've actually heard people say, you know, we're not of this kingdom, we're not of this world, so we're of the other world. And so we don't have to be obedient. Well, you're not going to find that in the Bible. Are there two kingdoms? Yes. The kingdom of the present and the the spiritual kingdom of God. And yet for right now, Christian, for right now, we're living in both kingdoms. There is a part of me that is already in heaven. 
I can tell you about that. You know, there's a part of me that is already promised, that is already, you know, secured in Christ. I'm not, not that I'm in heaven, but that my security is already guaranteed through the work of Christ there. So I'm a part of this spiritual kingdom. And yet I guarantee you that if you go into your boss tomorrow and say, look, I'm not of this kingdom and I don't have to come in at this time, he's going to say, well, you're not of this company anymore either. There's the hard reality that we as Christians are in two different kingdoms. And we're living in both. So what does he say? Romans 13.1. See if this to you seems more black and white or grayish. Okay, in your own determination. Let every person be subject to, God, to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Do you see that as black and white or, or more grayish? Is that not pretty black and white? I mean, if we go over to, to, to 1 Peter chapter 2, which we're going to look at in a little bit, there's no wiggle room here. He's not saying, well, only if your candidate is the president. He doesn't say, okay, only if your party is in control of Congress. He doesn't say any of that. Folks, he doesn't say if it's the most benevolent ruler ever or if it's a Hitler that's the ruler. And a lot of people begin to really struggle with it. You, you mean God ordained Hitler? I'm not saying that he ordained it. But a sovereign God, nothing can happen without the allowance. That's a really tough place to be when we start seeing the evil of the world. It's a really tough place to be. That God truly has allowed... Well, folks, go back to Nebuchadnezzar. Did, did Nebuchadnezzar sneak up on God? He win the election, he got to be king, and God's going, ah, if those five people would have voted, this good king could have got in there. Folks, I don't really grasp the fullness of sovereignty, but I trust it. I don't understand all the intricate details, but I trust it. I was just having a conversation with somebody right before the service. Uh, my sister passed away uh, suddenly, uh, leaving right after the service today to, to go to Baltimore to do the funeral. I, I don't know that she had a relationship with the Lord. And when I stand before my family tomorrow, believe me, every human part of me wants to, to preach her right into heaven and, and just preach, you know, that everything's going to turn out okay. But the word dictates to me to trust a loving, sovereign, and holy God. That doesn't give me joy of this question mark of my sister's salvation and where she will spend eternity. But what shines brighter than that, by faith, by trust, I'm hoping to be there, is that he's a sovereign, loving God. That somewhere in those 55 years of life, that she cried out to this God and trusted in the work of his son. That's my hope. I don't know that for sure. Does that make sense, how this ties in here, of when we trust God's sovereignty? It doesn't mean that we have it all figured out. It certainly doesn't mean that we even agree with it. There's a lot of things that I'm going, God, I don't agree with molestation of, of little infant kids that cannot defend themselves. God, why don't you just kind of get some lightning bolts and start striking folks down? And God is not the cause of that, 
But we can't have it both ways. You can't have a sovereign God and all this other stuff going on if there's not at least an allowance of that. I don't get it. It's the result of being fallen people in a fallen world. But folks, that's when we come back to the sovereignty of God. So when God says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, I'm going, yeah, but God, it's the Democrats, or it's the Republicans, or it's this. He didn't put qualifiers on there. He said, you'd be subject to it. Why? Because he has ordained at least the establishment of authorities. doesn't mean that he's ordained this candidate or that candidate, but he has established this order. Does that make sense? Because I want to make sure, because it, it, I feel like you know, I'm on this tightrope here, and I don't want to fall off on either side. I never want to diminish the sovereignty of God like I could. At the same time, I, I want us to know that just because God is sovereign doesn't mean that everything that happens in this world is that he's the God of causation. And, and that really gets difficult. Hebrews chapter 13 it talks about, and in verse 17, talks about leadership in the church. He says, obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. He's established, even within the local church, authority. Here's the pastor. Here's the elders. They are giving leadership. Again, hopefully not in a tyrannical way, certainly in a a way that should be loving and helpful and all this, but there's leadership. Folks, this is why we need to teach our kids this, because everywhere they go in life, will there be authority? Yeah. And so you either learn it when you're little or you're going to learn it as you get older. And the cost gets higher and higher and higher as we get older and and older and older. So here's the thing. We surrender to the authorities that we can see that are a part of our lives and the things that we can see so that we can surrender to the authority of he who we can't see. And by faith we say, okay, God, this is your will. Parents, when you teach a child to respect authority, you're teaching them much more than just Hey, respect the coach, respect the ref, respect the teacher. You are teaching them that there's a God who has established authority. You're you're teaching them that they're not the rule makers all the time. Have you ever noticed, it's just, I I love human, you know, it's a study of humanity. Have you ever watched three or four kids in a room? All about the same age, three or four years old, five years old. Have you ever noticed that there's always going to be one? I'm the teacher. You're the students. I, I wanted to be teacher. No, I'm the teacher. You're the students. Sit in your desk. There's always that one. I'm looking at some of you, and I think you were that one. I was always the one, always the one that had to be the student. You know, I was never the one that really stood up and said, okay, I want to be the teacher, okay? There's always a, kind of that thing. Your kids are going to deal with that. And one of the reasons why God wants us to have this ingrained into our mind is that we would understand that it's not all about me. There is authority in the world. And there's repercussions. Going back to sermon number one in this series, there's choices and there's consequences. The second thing that we teach them is that life is not ruled by feelings. We probably live in a culture that is more feeling-oriented and wants to give more weight to feelings than ever before. And, and I'm a feeling person. And yet, have your feelings ever betrayed you? I mean, have you ever thought, well, you know, I just don't 
feel like it or this. There's a lot of times in life that you don't feel like something. The emotions kind of go one way, and yet the commandment of God or the rule of God says go this other way. Man, let's get real serious. I mean, guys, do you really, every single day of your married life, do you feel like loving your wife as Christ loved the church? I mean, maybe that's your desire, but do the emotions and really the actions and the heartbeat, is that really what you want to do every single moment of every single day? No. And yet we can't be ruled by the emotions. That's where we have the commands of God. That's where we have the rule of God and the guidance of his word. So it's okay, here's, here's what I call you to do. So in those days when the feelings don't line up, we have truth that gives us a foundation to act upon, to place faith in, and to spur us on. Let's go over to what Peter said. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. This is kind of going to be the, the other New Testament text that we have, similar to what we just found, what Paul wrote in Romans 13. And it's almost like they kind of looked on each other's paper a little bit when they wrote this, because we see a very similar stand that Peter's taking that Paul took under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 2, be subject for the Lord's sake, that's a very important part of that, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. Not just government, he says, okay, to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent to him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. It doesn't say, are you in agreement with the agenda and the platform of this political party? He said, no, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. If we look at the context of that, which is always important when we're not preaching expositorily and just going through the, the, the scriptures one, two, three. What Peter was saying there is, in verse 13, he talks about the submission to governing authorities. If we read on in verse 18, he's talking about be subject to your boss at work. If we read, read on a little bit more in chapter 3, verse 1, he said, okay, be subject to your family and family authority of your parents. If we read on a little bit more, chapter 5, verse 5, he says, be obedient to the leaders of the church. Do you see the theme where Peter's going? Submission. Submission to authority. Why? For the Lord's sake, verse 13. This is what God has ordained. This is what God has willed. And, and so we place ourselves underneath there. And it comes back, and, and that's what Paul was saying again in Romans 13, 1 and 2. Let's look again at that passage. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. And the first thought when we read that is, yeah, but they didn't have leaders like we have today. Do you realize if we put the timetable together when Paul was writing this, when Peter's writing this, that more than likely it's either going to be a little bit of an overlap or a direct overlap? Who was the emperor in Rome? He's writing, Nero. What is Nero doing for fun? He's taking Christians, he's sewing them up in animal skins and letting the dogs loose. He's covering them in hard wax and putting them surrounding the evening parties and lighting them up to give light during the dark during his dinner parties. This is the context. But we live in an evil world. It was evil then. This is timely, folks. It is timeless. 
Do you think Paul is just sitting there going, man, this Nero is a great guy? No. So why does Paul write, why does Peter write in the balance of this kind of society that we're to be respectful? It all comes back to God and respecting what God has established. Not so much what God has ordained, pick that person or pick that person, but what he's established. Parents, that's kind of where we come in and say, okay, how do we teach our kids to live in this evil society, be obedient and respectful to authority, and yet at the same time, know when not to listen? That's a tough one, isn't it? How many of you have taught your kids? I mean, the words that we use were stranger danger. I don't know what your kids, you know, I guess they were, but you know, if there's a stranger that comes along and says, get in the car, you know, at the park. Stranger danger, stranger danger, you know, that you, that you yell out. So, so this obedience to authority doesn't mean that every person who's out there that you don't question. A couple of years ago, I had a guy in, in my church and uh, he, he worked with tools. They made uh, different parts of machinery and he found out that one of the, the parts that he had been asked to construct was part of uh, a machine that assisted in abortions. And, and so he went to his boss and he said, I will work on any other project. You can dock my pay. You can do this. I, I can't, by conscience, I cannot be a part of this. In that case, the boss agreed and took him off that project, put him somewhere else. But, but here's the thing. He didn't go in there and just start stammering, I refuse to. He did it respectfully. He said, here's my convictions. Here's what I've been asked to do. I will do anything else. And so what we see is a respect for authority and yet a standing of what you believe in. You go back to Daniel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 3. You got these Israelites then kind of brought into a society and they're, okay, here's all these food that you're going to have. And it was all this very fatty food and this food that was not part of their regular Jewish diet. And so all the people in authority said, eat up. And they said, you know, that's not part of our diet. Can we do this? Can we eat what we're used to eating? And you eat, you know, feed everybody else what they're used to eating. And, and in a couple of weeks, we'll just kind of take account and, and, you know, and see who's kind of looks the best. Folks, that was standing your ground, but also being respectful to authority. Would you say that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and if you're not familiar with the church, I'm not trying to talk over your head whatsoever, but if you are familiar with that story, here we have three, in Daniel chapter 3, three people that go in and they take a stand. They're told to bow down before Nebuchadnezzar, and they refuse to do that. They said, we only bow down to our God. But they did it in a respectful way. That even when Nebuchadnezzar, the king, gives them the second chance, that they said, you know, I mean, here's our conviction. <laughs> We can only bow down to our God. And so if we burn up in this fire, if you're going to put us in a fiery furnace and we burn up, so so be it. In other words, we're not going to rebel against it. We will pay the consequences of the choice that we make. And as Christians, guys, there's, there's going to be a lot of things in our lives that we are to be respectful and yet we are to stand our ground. But it's that attitude of respect, of authority, that I believe is honoring to God doesn't mean an attitude of compulsion and that we go in or that we just kind of fold under the weight. It means that we stand for the things that we stand for, but we do so in respect and authority. And we see that throughout God's Word.
that even when we're coming into direct opposition of spiritual things, he still says, that Paul tells us, do this with respect and courtesy. You know, I mean, he's talking about some major opposition there to do that in a respectful way. Well, I had a whole bunch more about, uh, well, let me, let me throw this one in there and then we'll, we'll close. Um, I, I told Andy back there, I said, this could be a four-hour sermon. And we still kind of scrape the top because of how relevant this is to our lives. But let me get one more kind of, uh, kind of a case study in there from the Scripture. Matthew chapter 22. They come up to Jesus, and there was two groups that are against him, and these two groups hated each other. It was Alabama and Auburn type kind of, you know, they just did not like each other, okay? You had the Herodians that kind of followed Herod and some of the things. That, that he would put forth kind of the rules of the day. You had the Pharisees, these Jewish people, and they opposed to anything that he had, even the hint of a Roman rule or anything like that. So these two groups, the Pharisees and the Herodians, hated each other, opposed each other. But they found themselves actually coming together against one person, the person of Jesus Christ. They said, hey, we found something that we agree on in the amount of our disagreements and that we both don't like this Jesus guy. Let's get him out. And so they conspired this plan to try to trap Jesus so that he would get into a place where no matter how he answered, he would infuriate some of the people in in one of these groups. Look what happens there. They put before them, you know, should we pay taxes? Should we really render you know, taxes to Caesar. Because even the, the, the coin of the day said that Caesar was a god. So what is Jesus going to do, man? You know, the Bible says, respect authority. But in no way is Caesar this god. Look at this story. Matthew 22, verse 20. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now look at verse 22. I love this. And when they heard it, they marveled. (laughs) Now these people, they wanted Christ. And yet they had to stand back and go, Ah, we didn't see that one coming. This guy is smarter than we ever thought. And they left him and went away, at least for the time. That's the wisdom Christians live in an evil world, a broken down world, has fallen people ourselves, and yet under the grace of God, the guidance of God, and the call of God. That we understand, hey, there's two worlds out there, there's two kingdoms out there. And for right now, we're a part of both those kingdoms. And so we're to respect authority. Three really quick add-ons. Um, applications for your children and your grandchildren. Number one, teach them from the beginning. This is not a lesson that you really wait till they're 14 or 21 or 28. It really starts in the home kind of day one. You teach from the very again, beginning and you're the teacher, you're the parent, you start to, to teach them. You don't have to quote them scripture all the time. Okay, If they're nine months old, I, I doubt your nine month old is really going to understand Scripture, But your nine-month-old will even begin to, to understand the word no. Would you not agree? 
And so that's establishing at that point a line of authority. You teach manners. You respect people. You respect places. Um, you take them down to the police station, the fire department. These are local heroes. These are people that serve the community. Does that mean that every police officer who's ever worn a badge is, is pure and innocent and wonderful? No. There's rogue people in every walk of life. There are rogue pastors. There are rogue everything. But folks, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We, we teach our kids respect for ones that God has placed into authority. Second thing, we teach them the hierarchy of authority. There was a day that if you were a neighbor or a neighbor's neighbor and you saw a kid do something, said, Billy, don't do that. And it had some weight. And I understand now that we live in a, it really is a different society. But I mean, I, I've heard it more than once. You're not my mom. Or to me, you're not my dad. You know, <laughs> you know it's kind of like, you don't have authority. I, I'm going, but you're in my Sunday school class. <laughs> and I'm the teacher, <laughs> but you're not my dad. You can't tell me what to, you know. Teaching hierarchy of responsibility and authority. There's times that we strongly disagreed with a teacher or two along the way. We were blessed to have so many Christian teachers from our two girls. But there were a couple times that we were in strong disagreement. And our girls would just call them up and tell them to that. I said, no, you respect the position even when you can't respect the person. I don't agree with what they're doing, but we're gonna, they're your teacher. They are an authority over you. And I'm telling you, our girls thought we had thrown them under the bus. Trying to teach them authority. And you respect authority. Does mom and dad agree with what they're doing? No, we wouldn't agree with that. But they're an authority. And so you submit to that authority. If you want to be a conscientious objector, if it gets something that really, you know, the call of God and the call of this teacher, then you're obedient to to what God has done. But believe believe me, you know, that she didn't prepare you enough for that math test isn't really a call of God. And so you may be frustrated that she didn't prepare you for this final, but please understand, she's your teacher and she's an authority. Even things like, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. That's teaching respect, authority. Dear family, uh, here in our midst, five or six weeks ago, I come up. The children stood to shake hands. I was going, this is cool. I want 50 of these families right now because it's, it's, it's a lost art, guys. And it's not, okay, we just want these perfect children. No, if you're having no perfect children, but you're teaching them authority and you're teaching them respect, and it's those little lessons like that. And so that's why we're really careful around the dinner table. I cannot believe what that pastor did. I can't believe what that coach did. I can't believe what that teacher did. Guys, it's not helpful. Because where is the bent? Is the bent toward rebellion or is it toward respect? It's already bending this way. When the Bible says train up a child in the way that he should go, it's our job as a parent to bend him back to that place where it's under the biblical 
guidance of God's rule. Last one. Teach them respect, even if there's disagreement. Again, there will be times that you have to uh, uh, respect the position when you can't respect the person. And, uh, you know, you're not, you're not for the platform, but it's a position of authority. Because I guarantee you that that is a rule of life and it's something that they're going to have to live with. They will have bosses. I mean, I, I, nobody is ever going to be the ultimate boss. I don't care if you have billions and billions of dollars. There's still going to be a higher one than you. His name is God. And you're still going to have to answer to God. There's always going to be that authority of God over everybody. But most of us will have a life where there's going to be a lot of people in authority over us. And so we may not, may not always agree with them, but we teach that. How do we do that? We live it out. So that even if it was a bad call, man, I can't believe that, that, that we don't kind of go off on the ref, but that we teach our children, hey, you know, they're in charge and sometimes rest because they are following people in the following world. Sometimes they miss the call. Remind me of that when I'm watching the football game at home, okay? And I'm ready to throw something through the TV. You know. Does it make sense? Very practical. And, and yet, I, I promise you guys, if we are going to raise up the next generation of Christ followers, a very practical, very, very important lesson for us to instill them when they're young. Is it too late? You have a 20-year-old. You have a 20. It's never too late. Under the gospel, there's always hope. There's always hope that God can take an old stone heart and take that out and put in a heart of flesh and save somebody and give them a whole new mindset at 20, at 30, or 40. I promise you, it is easier when we start when they're young, but with the gospel, there's always hope. Always hope. Let's pray today. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, uh, it is hard to be under authority. I will be the first one to say that... uh, Father, there are times that I'm so in disagreement with authority that, uh, Father, uh, my opinion, my feelings, my uh, everything about me just wants to rebel against that. And so, Father, I thank you for this uh, teaching today to remind me that you are the ultimate ruler. Nothing and no one has rule unless you have at least allowed it. And so, Father, help us to teach that to our children, our grandchildren. Help us to live this out in the family, in in our life, in government, and even here in the church, Father, that we just teach our kids about healthy respect, obedience to authority, and yet still living out by the consciousness and the guidance of your Holy Spirit in our lives. We love you and we thank you as we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.